Good morning, everyone. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, this is, uh, I'm going to be preaching all the way through chapter 12 and chapter 13 and a little bit of chapter 14, so strap in. We're going to be here a while. Just kidding. Uh, no, I'm not. No, I am. Thought if I tried it a second time, I might get more than two chuckles. I was wrong. I told myself, and I told you guys I wouldn't try to make jokes anymore, and I keep lying. Uh, so, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These are instructions to the church. We're in the middle of our series, Questioning the Church, and these are instructions to the church in Corinth for the purpose of helping them to understand and utilize their gifts but more than that, to help them encourage and equip the church, which is the, the point of gifts in the first place. Um, and it's, I, I want to give us some context, and I want to continue to lay in front of us the context of, of these, these verses and this, this series. And the context is, again, Paul teaching to the Corinthian church what it means to use and what your gifts are for and, and, and how to use them. And then for us, as we walk through this series on questioning the church. We've talked a lot about what the church is and what the church is not and, and all those things. And here for us, God has given each one of us, if, if we, first of all, he's given each one of us, if we've ever taken a breath, special gifts and special talents. And he's given the Christian, the one who have given their lives over to him and called Christ Lord, he's given the Spirit, he's given them spiritual gifts. And we are to use those for the betterment of the body of Christ. And that's the, the big picture context of what's here. Uh, let's, before we get into the, the heart of, of the passage, let's, let's pray. God, I, I come before you now, and, and I thank you for your son. I thank you for this morning. I pray now that you would uh, give us a, a focused mind, Lord, as we hear your truth, as we seek to, to apprehend your truth as it's laid out in Scripture, Father. I thank you for Scripture and how you've persevered it through generations so that we can hear and understand how you've revealed yourself to our hearts, God. I pray against the enemy that you, you would uh, free us from his distraction and keep our minds focused on what it is you want to, to say to us. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. So the context of this, these are, these are two chapters in Scripture that all communicate one point. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians 13. And if you know 1 Corinthians 13 very well, or if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard those verses. But the love chapter is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not boastful, those things. You've probably heard that before. The context of that is Paul didn't write those, so we'd have something pretty to say at weddings, although they, it's, it's appropriate and it fits. Paul wrote that as the, the addendum, the, the addition, the last chapter of this little series that he's teaching here about the gifts in the church. So love is massively important, and this is one large chunk of Scripture, chapters 12 and 13, teaching about spiritual gifts and gifts to the church. And so I want us to, to have that context in front of us and remember that, that, that these aren't separate thoughts. These are the same thought leading down one path to get us to understand, to use our gifts and, and how to use them in the church. Uh, before we get into the heart of it, I want to take us to the end of, of this chunk, and it's the first verse in chapter 14. 
it says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gift. So here's a long argument, verse, chapters 12 and 13, to get us to, to serve the church. And ultimately, he ends with this one statement. This is what I want you to leave. When, when you're finished, when, when I'm finished talking here and, and when you're finished reading these verses, I want you to understand this one simple statement. Pursue love and desire, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So I, I bring the end at the beginning to foreshadow a little bit about where we're going. And ultimately, that's the, the path that Paul wants us to walk down. So let's get to, let's get to the gift. Starting in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So there's some sort of confusion that's going on within this church. There's some sort of confusion for us. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting. That's what it says in, in Timothy. And it's, it's, impor- or, and it's important for us to, to come to this understanding that when we see a p- passage of Scripture, it's attacking a fallen part of our nature. Here, I don't want you to be misinformed. We can easily be misinformed about what these spiritual gifts are. Chapter 2, or verse 2. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one... Speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And these three verses here, 4, 5, and 6, we'll get into pretty specifically. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So these first seven verses are laying out what verse seven kind of tells us. The gifts that God has given are for the common good. The gifts that God has given are for the common good. And this is, as, as we walk in through verses four, five, and six, we're going to lay out what these gifts are in the, the Greek word and try and get to the, the root of what it is that Paul is teaching us here. And it's, it's important for us to see that these gifts, these activities, these areas of service are given to us for the common good of the church. And when I say that, I'm not talking about the common good of, of North Church. I'm not saying for the common good of Florissant Presbyterian Church. I'm saying for the common good of the body of Christ, the church global. God gives people gifts. He gives them opportunities to serve, and he gives them a variety of activities so that the, the body of Christ can 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 be empowered, can do its, can be effective, can be, can have its, its unity. And inherent in this teaching here is that all Christians should be using their gifts. I'm going to say something now and then again later, and, and I want us to, want us to all be convicted by this. We all, at times, sit back and are consumers in the church. Every one of us who is here in this, this building today have at one point been consumers in the church. And this inherent teaching that's here in the first seven verses of, of Corinthians 12 are, are attacking our fallen nature that we just want to be sit and be ministered to. But the common good of the church is pushing us towards service, towards activity, towards using the gifts that God is giving us. If we are not using the gifts that God is giving us, then we are in rebellion to the Spirit of God. I want to want every one of us to be convicted of that. And, and just because I'm the guy standing up here holding the microphone teaching doesn't make me any less needing to be convicted of this than you are. 
but we all do need to understand that there's an inherent teaching here. And if there's an inherent teaching here, then that's attacking a fallen nature of who we are. So we are to be active. So let's get into the verses 4, 5, and 6 and what these actual gifts are. So this word in, in verse 4, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. That word gifts, to get to the heart of it, it's this word, this Greek word charisma. And looks a lot like our word charisma and what is attractive and what is draws us. But this word directly from the Greek means a favor with which one receives without any merit of his own the divine, the gift of divine grace. Uh, you have gifts that are a part of you, and they are for the advancement of the church, not for yourself. Um, I, I get, I, I heard a, a guy talking about this, and, and I get really, really crazy when when I see a, a a really tall basketball player, maybe a maybe Shaq, picture Shaquille O'Neal. And he just about rips the rim down with a dunk, and he, and he gets all excited, and he wants all the world to look at him, and, hey, look what I did. And ultimately, this Greek word here, no merit of his own, Shaquille O'Neal didn't have to do anything to be able to dunk a basketball. He's 7'3". He's a massive man. He doesn't have to do anything to about tear the rim down. And for us, we walk around this earth thinking, look at me, look at what I've got, look at what I've got, look at what I've got. And these are all, all these gifts are given to us for a purpose, and they aren't given to us so that people can pay attention to us. They're given to us for the common good of the church so that people can pay attention to God. Uh, imagine, uh, fast forward about six years, and my kids are all teenagers. My little kids are all teenagers. And Jen and I go away for, uh, for a week on vacation, and, and we let them stay at home by themselves. They're like, 18 and 16 and 14, and Hannah Grace, you're in charge, which she would be anyway, because that's who she is. Uh, and we, we, you're in charge, and we, we give them some money so that they can, you know, spend it on to get some food for a while, okay, while we're gone for a few days. And, but instead, they use that money to go and to buy candy or to go to the movies and we come home, and they're, all three of them are like starving hungry because they've messed up. They've, they've used what we gave them for an inappropriate purpose. Do you see where, where I'm, I'm headed there? These spiritual gifts, and we'll get into specifically what these spiritual gifts are next week, but I wanted to, to paint a big broad stroke of what this verse, chapters 12 and 13 are talking about to kind of a survey of these, of these verses. So next week, we'll get into some specifics about what each particular spiritual gift is and how we use it. But ultimately, the purpose that God has given you gifts is for the common good of the church. And if we use those gifts for reasons other than the common good of the church or to draw attention to who God is, we're like Hannah Grace and Cooper and Mia when we go away and spending our money on watching movies and eating candy. We not only suffer in ourselves, but we also suffer in the family, in the body of Christ. Do you follow? Next, the next verse, chapter 5, or verse 5. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. This word service is diakonia, which is the where, where we get our word deacon from. 
You've heard of deacons in a church. And so many times, the church that I came from, the deacon is a ruling board of, of really, they serve the purpose of elders. So I, I want to I teach here just for a second about what deacon means. A deacon is somebody who serves in a church. A deacon is not somebody who rules in a church. But here, in this context, what this Greek word service that is translated as service, diakonia, is the service of those who execute the commands of others. Somebody who executes the command of others. In the church context, Dave and I are the elders of this church, and we, God has given us charge to shepherd you all, to give division and direction and path to this church. And when we are, we are those others, service to execute the commands of others. And we give direction for people to serve in this body. And we're going to have, uh, you'll see over here on, on each one of these tables, and Dave's going to talk about it at response time at the end, these are opportunities for us to serve at North Church. Either one of these two tables have those on there. And there's different opportunities for us to serve. And I'm, I'm saying this for, for two purposes. One, we have a couple of really massive needs here in our body in this moment. We have like 11 kids back there right now and two people serving back there, which is in four babies. So there's a, a deep need for us to have people to serve with children. And if, if every child, every kid under the age of, of 10 was here, that's been here in 2010, we'd have like 16 kids back there. So it's, it's important. We have a desperate need in this congregation, in this body, to serve, to help with our, our children. And, and I want to say also, let's read this verse again. There are varieties of service, and we talked about what that word service means, executing the commands of others for the common good of the church, which is where we're talking about. These are all for the common good of the church. We are exe- executing the commands of others for the common good of the church. All right? They're varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there is there's an inherent teaching by, by using this word Lord. Lord, when we became a Christian, we said to Jesus Christ, you are Lord of my life, which means that my life is not mine, but instead yours, which means my desires are not mine, but yours. And, and for us to see this here, varieties of service, but the same Lord. We aren't just called to serve, we are, it's an inherent teaching when we place ourselves under the lordship of Christ. So when you follow our direction to say we need help with working with kids, you aren't doing that for my purposes, you're doing that for the purpose of Christ. And so when, I know that there's, there's a, maybe, I've, I've actually spoken to a few of you that, that when it's your turn to be back there, just that, that statement in itself, your turn to be back there. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ when we lead our children. And when we're back there, it's not, man, I really wish I was up there with everybody else, or I really wish I was someplace else, or I really wish I didn't have a back. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ when we do that. And when we, another need we have is to, to set up all these, these chairs and, and this stuff and everything that you see goes into that closet uh, after service Every, every week, and we come and we, we have to set this stuff up, all right? So we have that need pressing in front of us. So as, as 
Jeff and, and our, our interns and Dave, and we were out, out here setting these chairs up and putting them out. It's, it's more than just pulling a chair out of a closet and putting it in an appropriate place. It's more than just snapping the screen into place. It's more than just bringing out and plugging up all this electric stuff, all this sound stuff. It's, it's more than that. We are, I, I want you to know that as you do that and as you serve in places within this church, you are serving not just this body of Christ, but you are serving the Lord himself. And, and I, I want us to, to understand that's, that's my, my prize is no greater for preaching this, this sermon today than, than Dave's was for, for laying out these chairs or for, than Jeff's was for plugging up all the sound equipment. We are serving the Lord in the context that he's placed us. And understand the big picture of all of this, the context of all of this. Paul writing to the church so that the church can be in unity and can be deeply effective. This is the context of everything that's happening and everything that we say. I want to uh, tell a, a bit of a story here. There's you guys, most of you know that I spent uh, two weeks in the middle of June teaching uh, a bunch of 17-year-olds across the state of Missouri in a, a youth camp called Super Summer. And uh, one of the, before that happens, uh, I go to Jefferson City to, to lead the, uh, the young people that will be the small group leaders, mostly college students. And there at this, the week before Super Summer, I met this girl named Sierra. And uh, she looked a little bit older than most of these kids are, are college kids that are small group leaders. And she looked a, bit, a little bit older than that. And, and I knew I had a girl named Sierra that was one of the small group leaders in the group I was leading. And I saw her, and her it said Sierra, and it's not, not the typical name. So I went down and sat next to her and tried to build some relationship with her and heard her story. And, and she tells me this story, uh, that she was, uh, a couple of years ago, she was in an abusive relationship. And she stayed in that abusive relationship because she felt she had this, this, uh, this deep need within her to have a boyfriend. So it was, she just had to have a boyfriend in her life. And, and in the midst of, of the abuse of that relationship and her thinking that she needed to have a boyfriend, God began to attack her heart with, I'm the one that you need. I'm the only one that you need. Stop trying to find things that you need outside of me. And there's, this is a, a massive deal for, for the teenage girl, is that we have, that they have this, this need to, to be wanted, to be desired, and it probably stems from we live in a, a society where fathers are absent, or at least absent in the lives of their children, and, and so these, there's this generation of young ladies who are drawing up looking for the affirmation from God. They should be receiving from God. They should be receiving from the gift of God that is their father. Instead, they're looking for inappropriate ways from boyfriends. And so Sierra has this, this two-year-long process of, of God just attacking her heart with, with all these things. And then she, one night she's, she's in a, a, a deep journaling experience and has gone away from her abusive relationship. And God just impressed upon her that I've, I've made you, she's a, a school teacher. I've made you a school teacher for this purpose, to speak this truth into the lives of young girls. So she is called, she gives up her summer every year. She's 25. She gives up her summer every year to go and speak this truth into young ladies. And I say all that to say God has molded and God has shaped you. He's given you your past. He's given you your future. He's given you your present for the purpose of serving the church. 
just like Sierra's story, and he has, he has given you the desires that you've given, he's given you and the time off that he's given you to serve in a very particular way. And, and as we do this, we not only serve in the immediate context, we are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, attacking consumerism here. We have present needs, very present, very urgent needs in front of you. And this is an opportunity for us to respond to these ways and to think what God is calling us to serve. And these sheets that are on either side will spell out several more that I don't have time to get to uh, this morning. The next one, verse 6. 1 Corinthians 12, 6. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. This word, activities, is the Greek word energema, which is a thing wrought or an effect. From the word meaning to be at work. This is a manifestation of being at work. The manifestation of being at work. Um, a lot of times I try and get real in-depth and real detailed about these Greek words, but the the ESV translation of this word and of this verse nails it perfectly. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time digging into that. There are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Ultimately, this is, these are the results of your expended energy and your expended time. These activities. And he puts it in this context. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And I, I want to remind us of this, the same God who empowers them all. Think about the vastness of our God, the, the solar system, the, the, the stars, the massiveness of our God. And think about, I, I, when I think about this, I think about the, the sun and the moon and the stars and the, the galaxy and the solar system and all these, these huge, massive things. And I think of the birth of my children and the miracle that's there. And I think of uh, my study of, of the, the human eye and the miracle that is a human eye. And all these things I'm reminded of, just the beauty and majesty and, and massive size and brilliance and creativity of our God. And then to understand that this massively huge God, this massively creative God, has designed the proclamation of his redemptive plan for all of history to come in and through the church. And that, that thought should knock us down and make us have to just sit and meditate on the, the, the brilliance of that. This God who could do anything he wanted to, he could have any sort of redemptive plan for mankind, but he chose to use people and use set-apart, gathered people that he called the church to proclaim this message and to do these activities, and to do these things. And here, in the midst of Paul teaching a church in Corinth, here's how I want you to be. Here's how I want you to do. These are the things that I'm going to lay out for you. There's gifts, there's service, and there's activities. I want you to go and do them all. You're not going to want to. Your, your natural man is going to not do it and, and want to sit and be served. But I want you to, to push and to go through and to do this because the Spirit and Christ and God, all those, the, the triune God has called you to those things. It's, it's deep and it's simple. It's God. Skip down to, uh, to verse 11 of chapter 12, and I'm going to talk about these gifts for the sake of unity and effectiveness. Gifts are given by God for the sake of unity and effectiveness. And I, I'm going to just read a, a few of these verses 
that, that appear in uh, 1 Corinthians 11 through 27, or 12, 11 through 27. And I, I want these to just wash over you. Let these statements wash over you and, and allow them to, to penetrate your understanding of what the gospel is and, and what the church is about and molds your idea of, of why and what these gifts are. I'm going to say that again. Let these words just wash over you and let them mold and shape your ideas of why and what these gifts are. We spent that time talking about gifts and now the why and what here for the sake of unity and effectiveness. Verse 11 says, One and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Again, this is God's idea. God's plan is for this to be the case. This is what to happen. So many times we, in our world, it's, it's the 4th of July, and the 4th of July we think about what's happened in the course of our history, and, and we think about the leadership that we've had, and, you know, a lot of people think that uh, our former President Bush was a horrible leader, and he directed our country in, in wrong ways, and we shouldn't follow him because of the, the poor leadership that he brought, and, and most people within the white Anglo Midwestern churches uh, think that Barack Obama is the devil and he's the Antichrist and we, we don't want to follow his leadership because of the, the ideas that he has that, that don't mix up, match up with, with maybe ideas that we have. And so we pick and choose the leaders that we're going to follow. You understand? We, we choose the leaders that we're going to follow based on their ideas. And understand this here is God's idea. One of the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You have what you have and you are who you are for the purpose of this community of the church. And to proclaim the, the redemptive message of Jesus Christ in the context of this church. And I don't just mean this church, I mean the global church. Come to grips with, with those words he apportions to each one individually as he wills. God's idea, making you who you are for the purpose of being who you are to serve where you are. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We are one. Meditate on this idea for a second. As you serve and as you are compelled to serve and as you are, as you strive to fight through this complacency, strive to fight through this fallen nature of ours to, to just be consumers. Understand that we are all members of one body. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. We come together as a body. Verse 18, more deepening of these previous thoughts. But as it is, God, but as it is, God arranged the members just let that phrase saturate your mind. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God choosing, God arranging, God doing the work, bringing you to particular times, particular places with particular gifts. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? We're all just scattered apart being our own thing, doing our own thing. Where would the body be? This speaks to a couple of different things. One is, is the, the unity and oneness of who we are. And, and another, we have a, a prevailing thought within this generation of Christians who say, I don't need the church. 
I can go study scripture on my own. Here, this is, this is combating that directly. We need to be connected and members of a body. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. There are many parts, but one body. We are a group of people gathered together to accomplish the redemptive purposes of God in North County. And when we fail at, at connecting with how God has shaped us, our body suffers. We are like a, a, a man with, with uh, a paralyzed from the waist down. Our, our legs aren't acting as legs and aren't operating, and we are not as effective as we could be. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but the members have the same care for one another. Think about the, the depth of the metaphor that Paul is using here. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If, my, if I'm walking down the street and, and I step on a rock and, and my foot starts bleeding, I'm going to immediately pay attention to that foot, doctor it up, put some medicine on it, put a Band-Aid on it, and hopefully it will heal. We have to have the same care for each other that we have for our bodies. You see the metaphor. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. If, if I get pain in a portion of my body, my whole body feels that pain. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now let's flip over to, to 1 Corinthians 13. The stuff that I've skipped, I'll, I'll get to next week. And gifts are to be given to be used in love. Gifts that are given are to be used in love. I, I want to I want to restate something here. Because of the light nature and the context with which these verses usually appear, we're talking about marriage or we see them at a wedding or where we write them on a, on a Hallmark card and we think about this, the, the softness that is love, we miss the leveling that these verses ought to be. He's just talked. This is the, the, the follow-up to all these spiritual gifts and all that they are and, and that we ought to be serving and that we ought to be connecting as members of one body and all those things coming together and, and bringing together the body of Christ as a single body and, and commanding us to serve. And this is not a separate thought. This is the, an addendum to that. It's, a, it's, it's more going through that. So I, I want us to, to lay aside our knowledge of these verses and understand that they are emphasizing they are the adjective to the noun that is chapter 12. So, verse 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Gifts not used in love are a huge distraction. Gifts not used in love are a huge distraction. Back to the working with the kids. Gifts not used in love are a huge distraction. We're a clanging, imagine right now we're trying to 
I'm trying to, to lead us through 1 Corinthians 13 and trying to, to teach the intimate details of it. And there's somebody in the back banging pots and pans around. That's a massive, you can't pay attention to what's going on. When we use our gifts in ways other than that are, are loving, we are banging pots and pans around. We are a huge distraction. Everything we do has to be painted with this brush of love. And now, let, let's, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. These are Paul laying out the definition of love and what it means to serve in the church and use your gifts with a loving standpoint. This is it. This is what God is calling us to. Love is patient. The definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I heard John Piper give a definition of love, and love is bringing the object of your love into a place where they are completely enthralled by what will satisfy their soul. Bringing the object of your love where they are completely enthralled by what will satisfy their soul. Bringing joy and contentment and well-being. So here, in order for us to love, we are to be bringing this individual, this person, this body to serve in love is to bring them into this place where they are enthralled by what which, that which will give them eternal joy and the satisfaction, this deep satisfaction that we can't even speak or understand. The joy and the well-being of others is more important than my preference or my comfort. As, I, as I've studied this this week and as I let this message meditate on me and and attack my heart this this statement is is overwhelming the joy and well-being of others is more important to me than my preference or my comfort i hope i i i've as i'm studying this message this week I've prayed for myself and I've prayed for the people that will sit in these chairs this week that we would be attacked by that statement. And we would see where our love fails miserably, making us a huge distraction to the purpose and unity of a church. There are people that are in my life that annoy me. And I don't want to talk to them. And my preference and my comfort is way more important than who they are, practically speaking. But if God is calling us to serve the church in these ways that I just talked about out of 1 Corinthians 12, and God is calling us to do that in love, I am a miserable failure. And so are you. And that, this notion, this understanding of what it means to love has to just totally and completely level us. The well-being of others is more important to me than my own preference and comfort. More of others and less of me. I'm more concerned with you than I am about me. We are selfish, selfish people. 
And here, the last statement that I want to say is this is the example of Christ. The third statement is the example of Christ. Let that just rain and wash over you. And see the depth of the gospel that, okay, walk logically with me. God is all-knowing and all-powerful. He could choose any redemptive plan that he, cho- that he wanted to choose. He chose us. I just laid out for us what it means to love and how we fail miserably at it and how we don't execute it. But God still chooses us to be the vessels of his love. Our God stores this treasure in us in our earthen vessels to show that this love is from God and not from us. There's, there's beauty as we see the purpose of the church, as we see how to love and how we fail so miserably at love, and we see that God still shows us anyway. We see the beauty of the gospel. That we are miserable failures. I just called myself a miserable failure. At the same time, in that moment, Christ died for us. In that moment, Christ still chose you to be the vessel of God to bring his redemptive truth to the place where he brought you. Just like Sierra, he gave her heart, the leanings that he gave her, and he gave her the free time that he gave her to proclaim his redemptive truth where, where he is. And if Sierra was standing before you, she would call herself a miserable failure at love. I'm standing before you, a miserable failure at love, but the beauty of the gospel is God still uses that and God still accepts us fully and completely. Let's pray and move into response time. God, I thank you for your son. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the people that have come here, Father, and I pray that in these last moments you have deeply planted a seed of your truth into the souls of each of us, God. God, would you would you do that, Father? Would you plant the seed of your truth deep in our souls, Father? And may that seed be nurtured and may we respond by serving in this context, by being active in this context, Father, and by loving, Father. Would you attack the way we love, the way we serve, so that the body of Christ might be built up? Lord, we trust you, and we love you, and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his perfect name that I pray. Amen.